Before we get into this episode, if you enjoy the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 seconds to leave a review, as it helps us get heard by more people. G'day legends and welcome back to the Cricket Mentoring Show. Today we're coming to you from Perth in our masks. We are following the rules, following the laws and we have a special guest with us today. Before I introduce who we've got, I've got Reedy with me as always. How are you Reedy? Yep, very good Matt. It's good to be back. Reedy's not as dusty this Sunday, uh, Monday morning as he sometimes is with <laughs> Sunday cricket. No Sunday cricket yesterday but we've got Josh Philippi, Cricket Mentoring Ambassador, great friend of ours. Welcome Flip. How are you going? Hey, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, going well. It's nice to be home. Excellent, excellent. So Flip has just finished uh, a number of weeks of quarantine, been out for a little while now. We're going to hear more about that in a minute. But before we get into it and we start asking you a few questions, having a chat, Flip, tell us a little bit about having COVID. Obviously, and as my mask slips down, I'm going to pull it up again. Um, got to follow the rules. Um, you got COVID at a really awful time, just before the semi. Was it the morning of the semi final, the night before the semi final, the big bash, which meant you missed the, the semi final, the final. Tell us about how you were feeling then, but also, did you get any symptoms? How did you feel with the big C? Yeah, um, oh, it was just pretty disappointing timing more than anything. Uh, it was actually the day before the the semi final. Um, yeah, I did my rapid test in the morning, and it yeah came up with a big thick line on the on the positive so i made a few phone calls got a few more tests with me did a few more and they were all positive and then ended up doing a, a proper pcr test and um that pretty much uh yeah wrote me off for for seven days um, and i remember you saying that you sort of you you'd done so many you had to do one a day or something and you you just we were chatting on the phone during it and you sort of said that you just did it, put it down, walked away, and you sort of came back past glance and were like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah, so sometimes they take a little bit of time to actually um, to come up and, and show the, the positive. So, yeah, I, I did it and thought nothing of it because I, I really felt fine. And, um, yeah, then I, when I walked back past it about 10 minutes later, I had the biggest sense of panic, and that's when I started making phone calls. And, and so did you have any symptoms or how were you for that little period? Because you're in quarantine then for 14 days. No, nah, it was only seven days, um, but oh, I ha- had a little bit of a, a sore throat, um, but that was really it. I was I honestly was sitting on the couch feeling almost 100% like I could have played. So, yeah, that was probably uh, the most disappointing thing about it. And then watching the boys uh, win the semi just, um, I think that was the innings curve start and got the boys home and then losing the final to Perth, who are obviously a lot of your good mates. Um, how did all that feel? must have been very disappointing and frustrating. Yeah, I think the the semi final was probably more frustration. Um, frustrating. I was pretty emotional the first few days of, of having it. I just you know thought poor me. Um, so yeah, that was pretty disappointing. And it was almost like watching a, a different team play. Um, you know our order was different. We had quite a few different players come in. Um, but yeah, getting the win there was pretty awesome. Hayden Kerr was unbelievable. And um, yeah, and then by the time the final came around, I I was um, yeah. I was a bit better. I was a bit less emotional about it. You know, you just kind of have to get on with it. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, the the Perth boys are too good. So it's obviously nice to be home now. I'd assume. Um, what have you done since getting out of your quarantine and and all that sort of thing? Yeah, it's very nice to be home. Um, you know, I haven't done a huge amount to be honest. We've been back into training. Um, but yeah, I've I've really just been trying to spend time with 
with my family and you know get outside as much as I can go go get as many coffees as I can and you know just just try uh try make uh live a bit more of a, a normal life I guess and I bet Clarissa is happy to have her man home yeah she's very happy she did the quarantine with me as well so lucky that turned into seven days because 14 might have been a bit interesting um but yeah she's she's very happy how long were how long were you away for um I left for the shield game against Tassie sort of start to middle of november and then went straight to sydney from there so i think it was ended up being just over three months i think yeah yeah wow and while we're on that i'm really intrigued there's a lot of talk of bubble fatigue now um i know it's something we've spoken about privately but tell us a bit about what that actually is it's just you can't live a normal life at the moment can you when you're playing and living in all these bubbles sort of thing yeah i think um yeah, it's, it certainly gets challenging at, at times. I think, especially this season, we because COVID was very much in and around our bubbles, lots of lots of guys in the competition were getting it. We were sort of limited to, to even who we could hang out with a lot of the time because we ended up being put into small travel groups pretty much to, to limit our, our interactions with the rest of the team. So, um, you know, like as you saw with the Melbourne Stars, you, a whole team wouldn't go down if, if someone was to get it. So... Um, you know that that was pretty challenging. Um, the one thing we could do was play golf, and we we're very lucky to stay out, um, sort of a little bit out of Melbourne um, at at Sanctuary Lakes. We stayed at the golf club, so that probably kept me going towards the back end. I played a lot of golf. Did your handicap come down? Um, no, nah, it's still around eighteen, and some days it should be thirty six. So <laughs> <laughs> tough game. Golf. I was just chatting to chatting to Adam Voges during the week. He said that everyone was in a separate room by the end of it and also that they had about 27 separate hire cars that they were all getting around in individually so the whole traveling party had their own wow. car was it like that for you guys yeah so they pretty much put us into individual rooms because they were trying to uh limit um being called a close contact um so pretty much in in victoria new south Wales, i think it was you had to be inside with someone for four hours or or if you lived in the same household so as soon as those rules came out, they pretty much went, you know, everyone split up, stay in single rooms because um, that would eliminate that. And then, yeah, we had our small travel groups as well. So we we're never really in the car for, for anywhere near four hours as well. So it was just, just trying to be as safe as they could. And, and then so back to sort of bubble fatigue, which a lot of players have spoken about, especially the internationals. I know the England guys spoke about it, but it, it does wear you down, I guess. Like, we just take for granted, especially here in Perth, we've lived such a privileged life over the last two years of COVID. We've had very little COVID until recently. It must just sort of, yeah, you must crave some normality, just going to the shops or going to have dinner somewhere or do something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, it's really important to, to break up, um, you know, especially um, when, when you're stuck in the, I guess, the bubble. Um, you feel like all, all you do is cricket, all you talk about is cricket, the only people you hang out with is, is all cricket related, so you just kind of get can be a little bit overwhelming a little bit when you when you feel like you just need to you sort of step away and, and escape from it. So, yeah, I think for me, yeah, it's it's just trying to um, be as normal as possible. So when I'm when I'm back in Perth, you know, we're very lucky. There's not too much COVID around, but you know, it's just spending time with my friends and family, and often lots of those guys aren't aren't very much cricket related. Mm, not very much COVID yet. We're about to go bang here in Perth, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're in trouble. Um, now, over to you, Reedy, our avid cricket watcher and follower, <laughs> our cricket nuffy. Um, 
Australia versus Sri Lanka. I didn't get to watch much of this. It was sort of four o'clock in the afternoons most most days, which was either family time or coaching time. So did you get to watch much of the five-match series? And, and if so, what did you get from it? I did I did uh, get to look at a fair bit of it um, and watch, watch the game yesterday as well. I don't know. I sort of came away from this series having a few more questions than answers, and I think Australia might be in the same boat. Um, they trialled a few things that... Like didn't really come off. Um, there's a few guys still out of form and a bit under pressure. And while they were pretty dominant across the five games and the bowling was pretty exceptional, um, there's still quite a few questions about that. The batting lineup in the top order, in particular, with the likes of McDermott not not really coming off in his first real good crack up the top there. And um, they trialled Agar as an opening bat, which was which surprised everyone really um and it shows that shows how tough it can be to open the batting um respect to all openers out there <laughs> and um yeah as and finch is going up and down the order so it's it's an interesting one well one thing and again i didn't watch any of it but i checked the scores every game one thing that it looked like was the bowlers sort of did their job and whoever stepped in with the ball after hazelwood and stark took a break it looked like the richardson's um did that did a good job agar was exceptional with the ball in the games that he plays Zampa was as good as ever but very very interesting decision to put ashton agar at the top of the order i don't think he's ever opened the batting for the scorchers in the big bash do you know flip no i think that's that's the first time he's been put up the top there um yeah i mean, I mean it was interesting it, it didn't quite come off but it's one of those things that you know if it did come off I, I think for ash they're probably looking for a bit of variety as well in in their bowling lineup as well so you know if he can fight his way in and, and play as a top six batter it, it really you know allows them to have a lot more options with the ball so i, I could understand why they did it uh, absolutely absolutely but uh yeah very interesting yeah decision about him at the top maybe not six or whatever i do definitely agree that they've got to get him and zampa in the same side i think that's crucial for them winning the world cup over here i think agar across two two games in a row had went for 28 runs and all of them were singles mm. and i just think that is honestly unbelievable um on that at the highest level and Sri Lanka's a team that generally plays spin well as well it's not like he's bowling to South Africa or England or whatever Sri Lanka coming from the subcontinent all do play spin well so he's he's a very clever bowler Agar isn't he yeah definitely he's yeah his last few years have been exceptional he's he's really developed and um yeah he's I mean his T20 cricket for Australia as well has been exceptional so I think they're trying to find a way to squeeze him back into that lineup yeah I think you're right ready about that and as you mentioned, um, we've got a well. We mentioned this on our either our last pod or the one before that that I think Flip should be in the side, and it's a very biased opinion. But uh, having followed uh, Flip very closely for the last few years, Big Bash team of the tournament three years in a row, Big Bash player of the tournament last season, not this pre- previous one, but the one before. Um, I think McDermott had a great opportunity. Hopefully, he does get more opportunities because he's he does has earned it. Um, but I think Finch has to be. I'm not going to ask you, Josh, because you've got a. <laughs> Yeah, there's a bit of um, yeah loaded question, but I think Finch's position he's a, he's obviously a fantastic leader and he's done a great job as the captain, but he's not scoring the runs he needs to be. I I, I predicted in our last um, pod just over a week ago that he would score some runs because he did at the back end of the big bash, and I thought that might be just what he needed. But international cricket, he's he's really struggling, and he's had a he's had a great career in white ball cricket for Australia, but some questions have to be asked about Big Finchy at the top, Reedy. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Like it is a specialist position, batting in that power play. So I, and I think 
Australia could get found out. They struggled playing the the spin in the power play early on, and like there was, you couldn't really. Like he was going a bit both ways and swinging it both ways as a spinner, which was, it was pretty funky. But I think to have someone like the likes of likes of Flip, who can play spin really well, um, has got options to all types of bowling. Um, yeah, I think that will be vital against well, most teams are going to go spin early. I think to Australia. Mm. Yeah, we're just. Um Pumping you up here, Flipper. Um, <laughs> now, Josh Inglis did come off, one of your favourite sons, Reedy. He's um, probably not done himself any harm in that middle order. Yeah. No, once again, he, he just plays spin so well. He's, he's really busy and um, plays a short ball well, all that sort of thing. And I think um, his energy brought into the middle there with and batting alongside Maxwell, I think you could tell they were having a lot of fun together. And um, I think he could be a, a massive part of the campaign going mm. forward. And there's no reason why, like it showed, keepers can field. It doesn't matter. He took a catch in there and flip can field. So, you know, have, get three Get them all. Get not? McDermott. Yeah. Why don't we just oh, pick yeah, a four, team of yeah. keepers? McDermott and Philip had opened the batting. English three, Carey four, Wade five. <laughs> not worry about the rest and just take your pick at who the keeper is. We, who, who's going to keep in that team flip? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Ingo, but um, Wade, he's been doing a very good job as well, so... Yeah, I anyway, think you could right. give the gloves to anyone. Yeah, couldn't you? All right, let's move on. Shield cricket. There's two games going on at the moment here in Australia. New South Wales against Tassie in a pretty what fourth day. Looks like it'll be a close finish. Um, and then Queensland Vicks again might be a, either a close finish this afternoon. The Vicks chasing some runs or a peter out to a a draw. Are you following those games closely, Flip? Obviously, you guys aren't um playing for another few weeks but obviously these results will affect the rest of your tournament your sort of competition yeah i haven't been watching too much been watching sort of bits and pieces um it's nice to see my mate hayden kerr get some runs again um you know he's just having an unbelievable season um i think he got 80 88 i woke up to watch him uh, i think on day two or three try get 100 and big birdie um yeah, snuck one through. Sixes teammates. <laughs> That's right. Would um, you have given him a send-off or would you have just said, well batted, son? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, what have I done here? <laughs> <laughs> table down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, nah, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I reckon he might have said a few words, but who knows. Lovely. Um, and what does it mean? What does it mean for WA for the rest of the season? You guys are going pretty well so far, aren't you? Yeah, as far as I know, we don't need too many results to, to go our way. Um, you know, if we win, if we're back, backing ourselves in to win the last two games and, and then hopefully we're pretty much guaranteed um, to be in the Shield final. So it's, it's pretty exciting for us. So, yeah, we're really just gearing up to, to that the next few weeks. Just, yeah, while we're on the Shield, um, the topic of Will Pukowski has been quite a big one the last week or so. Um, once again, suffering another concussion in the warm-up of all things, um, playing volleyball or something, I think it was. And I think that's it's one of the saddest stories I've heard in cricket, really, just because, simply because um, you can just see how much he loves the game and the way he talks about the game, and but also just how good he is. Um, and I think he showed that in the first innings of that game, is in his return. Um, I don't know if you know Will much, Flip, or um, whatever, but I think, yeah, just want to see him get a good run if he gets another good run yeah it's i think it's just really sad um you know he came back he got sort of got some runs looked really good um you know he's a world-class player um you know i'm just really really disappointed for him um you know i've no doubt he'll have some time off now and just fingers crossed he he comes back and um 
yeah, that is that is all good. Well, there's some talk of him potentially playing in the next couple of weeks. Um, there, there was a bit going on behind the scenes from all reports. I've spoken to Buck a little bit, and I'm not at liberty to sort of give away too much, but I think that there's um, some people pushing for him to, to get back into it as soon as he can get back on the horse. And I think Buck and also Sean Graff, who's the um, director of cricket at, um, or head, head of cricket operations at Cricket Victoria, both said it's just it's not time to panic. Let's just give him a, a little bit of time, let him sort of decompress, hopefully overcome this, and ho- hopefully he'll be back. But... Well, I had him on the podcast three years ago and he was just such a good, sort of lovely young man with huge ambition, said he wanted to score 30 test hundreds for Australia and he's, you just watch him bat and he's just got so much time and he's just got such a beautiful swing and balance and yeah, you, you do think he's a world-class player, as you've said, and, and I really wish him the best and hope that he can come back and, and bounce back from this very quickly and not only a great cricketer but a, a lovely young man. PSL, that's not something we really follow. I don't. Well, you do, Reedy, or the Nuffy. Um, I don't. <laughs> not, not really. I don't. I don't follow much of this. I don't. It's not a good time zone, really, and and don't really uh, get to see much of it. But it's been a bit of news overnight about Australian Jimmy Faulkner leaving. Have you seen that, or anyone know anything I, about that? I haven't. I saw a few tweets throughout, and there's a bit of drama happening. Um, what what went on there? Do we know? Yeah, not a huge amount. Something to do with pay disputes. Um, and, yeah, he looked like he, yeah, he wasn't terribly impressed well, with he, it. He threw a bat and a helmet onto a chandelier and stormed out and asked if he... Really? Yeah. So there's photos, supposedly, of a bat and a helmet in a chandelier in a, in a hotel and he's had to pay for the damages, which can't have been cheap, I couldn't imagine. And it was over um, a pay dispute. Obviously, there's two sides to every story. The P- Pakistan Cricket Board's come out and said that um, he has been paid, as, as they, they said, and they also said that his agent was very apologetic. Um, who knows if that's true? And then Faulkner's sort of said that he's not been paid and it, it, he's been treated poorly. I know Shahid Afridi has chimed in and said, don't you tarnish the name of the Pakistan Cricket Board and the PSL. And a lot of drama there. So, yeah, I don't know how that's going to be, mean, what that's going to mean for Faulkner's franchise future. He's obviously not played in the Big Bash this year. He's... He's blazing his own little trail there, Faulkner. Do you know why he wasn't in the Big Bash? He, he had a bit of a dispute with the um, Hurricanes over something, didn't he? Contracts? Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. Um, uh, I think it was to do potentially with how many years they're going to offer him. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But, yeah, I think he he's just looking at the pathway of, um, yeah, just playing in all the comps around the world and, and doing it that way. Mm. And... Now, the IPL auction, I was following this really closely, I think, last weekend, not one we just, we just had, but that was very, very interesting, exciting, intriguing, um, whatever you want to say, but disappointing that you didn't go. I was following closely and texting you and, and really hopeful that there was a, a side or two out there that went, but something that was absolutely extraordinary was the, the auctioneer, Hugh Edmund, Edmeads, I think his name was, falling off the stage, having a some sort of attack, not a heart attack, and, and we were texting and think, he looks dead. It was not good at all, was it? Yeah, it was not ideal. Um, yeah, and it was all obviously live streamed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, glad to see he's, he's doing okay. But, uh, yeah, I was sitting there watching because I knew Mitch Mitch Marsh was coming up shortly, so I was watching there hoping to see him go for, you know, two or three million and, and then, yeah, delayed the auction for quite a while. So, um, yeah, it was certainly interesting. I actually found it so entertaining mm. watching that for something that doesn't on the surface doesn't look like it. Um, I found that yeah, I was caught myself watching it for hours and 
my girlfriend got sick of me pretty oh, quick. Becca was sick of me. She's like, when is this thing ending? And yeah. I was like, it was going it, for three days or something, wasn't yeah, it? Two yeah, two days. It was yeah. intriguing how you like someone like Jason Roy comes up and you think, oh, he's going to go big dollars. And there was no bids. There was one bid and he went at the base rate rate of 200, two crore or whatever. And other players come up and like, duh, 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 duh. your man, Tim David. What, mm. an, what an extraordinary story that was. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, obviously all these teams have their have their tactics and have their sort of pre-auction plans. And, and yeah, I guess you see, yeah, a lot of teams are very interested in, in big Timmy David. And he's, he's obviously having a really, really great run as well in the PSL, had another good big bash and had an amazing winter. So, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised at all, to be honest. I think as well, it's great to see Josh Hazelwood go for pretty decent money as well. Um, he was right up there. I think he's someone that's turned into a world-class T20 bowler. And I think early on in that Sri Lanka series in the Super Over um, match, that he, he hit the spot wherever he wanted. I think he hit three or four Yorkers in a row that they couldn't really hit. And that shows yeah, how skillful and adaptable he is. Yeah, as you say, he wasn't always a Premier T20 bowler. He was always known for his red ball line and length, but he's sort of taken that into white ball cricket, T20 cricket, hit bashes a hard length at good pace from good height, um, and he's, he's now become one of the great players. You've kept to, to Hazelwood. What makes him such a good bowler? Oh, he's just super consistent. He, he can hit a five-cent piece, um, you know, all day. And, yeah, he's, he just shows that, you know, it's not about all the skills in the world, but if, you, if you're super consistent and you're, you're really good at a few aspects of your game, you know, you can, you can be the world's best. Because I think, you know, there's other guys in T20 cricket that are almost like a mixed bag and bowl six different balls and over. But, you know, he keeps it super simple and he's just so good at what he does. And he must be a good thinker about the game because these guys like yourself who keep evolving, keep getting better, um, keep finding new ways to do things, they've, they've got to be good thinkers about the game and understand the game well. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, he's, he's had a, um, you know, a really good run now. He's had a lot of opportunities in different conditions and he's just really been able to you know, just adapt his game and, and really um, yeah, just be, be super consistent at, at you know, what, what he does well, I guess. And I was shocked that um, another one of your mates, Flip Zampa, didn't go. He was the almost the player of the tournament in the World Cup recently, one of the premier spinners in the world. And then Haranga, no, um, the leggy from Sri Lanka. Um, Hasaranga. Hasaranga. Hasaranga goes for $2 million. And, like, it's just like you say, each team has a strategy. They have the players that they want to go for. And obviously with these things, for your price to go up, you need minimum two teams to want you, and then they... They have a bit of a bidding war, and I think for someone like Tim David or Ishan Kishan, who was one of the, I think, went for the most, you have four or five or six teams that going for you. But it seemed like spinners, apart from Hasaranga, spin, overseas spinners weren't really selected. I think Ishodi missed out, um, a few others. Mitch Santana did go, but I think maybe he can hit them down the order. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Can Hasaranga gives him a good nudge, doesn't he? So that, that could contribute, even though I don't think it should, but... Zampa, I, I don't know what else he has to do on, in the, yeah, on the world stage to be picked up in that that tournament. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I, you know, he's just about the best leg spinner in the world at the moment. He's he's been incredible for Australia probably over the last two to sort of three years. And yeah, I mean, when I was there a few years ago, he was at RCB with me, and he sort of played the back half there and and did an amazing job and bowled really well and. 
you know, almost they just sort of picked him towards the back end. They didn't really pick him at the start. And, and then, yeah, once again this year, he misses out. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that I read an article that they, the all-rounders or players that are really good at one thing but can hit down the order or, or can bowl a few overs or like your Moeen Ali was re- retained by CSK and your Liam Livingston was one of the wealthiest, um, highest-priced players, batter that bowls some leggies, a hitter. Tim, obviously, I don't think he's probably been picked up for his bowling so much, but he's a hitter. They were all targeting certain things, fast bowlers and all-rounders or lower-order hitters, plus your big dog um, top-order players seem to be the, the flavour of the month. And the wicket-keepers, not so much. The, the top-order batters like yourself, Flip. The spinners just sort of seem to get overlooked a lot. Yeah, it uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but, I can, yeah, it is a specialist game, right? And one thing I'm looking forward to is seeing David Warner and Mitch Marsh work under Ricky Ponting at Delhi. Um, I think those two are seriously going to flourish um, with his leadership in that environment. Yeah, I think it looks like Delhi's selected really nicely. I think Davey Warner and, and Mitch Marsh, I, I thought Mitch went for an absolute steal as well. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah, I think... I think Warner did too. Warner, yeah, Warner was both. unders. For the, his IPL record, I think yeah. he was undervalued. Yeah, definitely. It it seems to be all the guys that, as you say, go for big money, are, you know, have two skill sets and and sort of are, are definitely more those sort of back end um, hit hitter roles. Yeah. Now let's move on to your cricket flip. A little bit about your big bash season and and so forth. Tell us, the Sixers have been had an amazing little period. They've uh, you obviously won back to back competitions, tournaments. And then your runners-up this year, you've got a fantastic coach, Greg Shippard, who I've become friendly with. He's become a bit of a mentor of mine, and he's a very calm, cool guy, um, knows the game incredibly well, has had a lot of success. So obviously he's creating a culture and environment, but Moses, a fantastic captain as well. Tell us a bit more about what makes the Sixers so successful. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great uh, environment to be a part of. I think the culture we've we've built um, certainly over the the four years that that I've been there now. But uh, you know, I'm assuming previously as well. I think when Shippy took over in charge a few years before that, I think yeah, it's just a it's just a really great environment to be a part of. Um, you know, the moment I walked in that door, I felt like I was one of the most important sort of people um, uh, amongst the team, as as pretty much all players are made to feel and. Yeah, it's it's really special. Shippy's amazing. He always knows the right time to come in and and chat to you, and he also knows the right time to sort of sit back and sort of let you try work things out for yourself. And and Moe's also super calm on the field. Um, you know, great role clarity, and yeah, we just yeah, I love playing for the Sixers. Yeah, lovely. Um, now your season this year, you had up until now, you've had two and a half, or you were promoted to the top of the order. A couple of years ago, you got in the Big Bash team of the tournament that year. You were player of the tournament the following year. You've had good run after good run after good run. And this was your first blip. This this season, you had, I think, three low scores, three ducks in four innings with a with a 30-odd in between. How did you feel then? Were you starting to feel like maybe your, your spot was in jeopardy? Were you starting to question yourself or change things? Or how did you deal with that sort of challenging time? Yeah, it was the first time. I, for me, it was more just, I think I just took some poor options. Um, I try to move the game forward sort of in the first over a few times and that's not generally what I normally do. Um, I normally sort of take a little bit of time before I, um, yeah, I guess take some of those bigger risks. But 
I wasn't I wasn't terribly concerned. I think I I was still hitting the ball really well. I feel like the way I've been striking the ball sort of this season has been almost as good as I've been hitting them. Um, so it wasn't uh, you know a technical issue. It was more mindset and you know give, almost just giving myself a little bit more of a chance to just just get in my innings and and then go from there. And did Shippy sort of sit down and say put, put his arm around you and say Joshy, we still backing you or don't worry about it. Let's move on or were you just sort of figuring it out and just trusting yourself a bit? I he never really did, but he always, um, you know, everything he says to me just um, yeah, gives me the confidence to just keep doing it my way. I guess, um, yeah, I think I just went away from my game plan a little bit, so he just sort of reminded me, um, you know, what I do well, and you know, when when we sort of win games and and I'm there at the back end, it's. You know, it's it's because I'm there from overs ten to fifteen, not not because I you know hit twenty off the first over. So, just just going back to the culture side of things, um, I think it's a really interesting topic um, with the current situation, obviously with Justin Langer and um, sort of modern day coaching that um, the Australian team is looking for that allows for individuals to sort of be themselves and they get more of a say or they want to have more of a say in how they go about their things, like. Did you, as a playing group, um, have quite a bit of a say in what goes on there, and and then Chippy just sort of allows that, or is that yeah? Is it, it's obviously been a long process to get to that um, stage that you guys are at as a group, but you all look so happy and enjoy each other's company. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one. I think from Chippy's perspective, he's he's been coaching for, and I'm guessing here, but I'm going to say 30 years, um, and I. Definitely no. I know Finchie's told me back in the day when he coached the Vicks, he used to chase them all down the change rooms and he, he certainly wasn't as calm and relaxed <laughs> as he is now. So, you know, I think over over a long period of time, Shippy's ad- adapted his coaching style and, and also adapted in that way as well, which probably allows a bit more of a player-driven environment. And, and that's, yeah, led led by the front, by Moses, um, you know, creating a, a really almost safe environment I guess where people can as you said be be themselves and and yeah be vulnerable at times if they need to as well and and then yeah and you know uh, as you said we just really enjoy our cricket together um and yeah that, that's definitely just just because of the environment that's that's being created around that yeah awesome and so and it's clear to see that you've really flourished in in that environment and you've obviously understand yourself as a player a lot more um Take us into your sort of T20 game plan, your blueprint, um, your, your main things that you fall back on and, and you try and do every time you go out there. Yeah, for me, it's, um, yeah, when, when it's going well, you know, if I'm walking out to bat, setting or chasing, probably the first over um, is just to have a look, I guess, try to get the read of the pace of the wicket. Um, is it swinging? Is it not? Um, is the wicket true? Which they generally are. Um, and then from there, it's trying to be a little bit more expansive, I guess. Um, I think I used I used my ramp shot a lot in the first four overs this year, because um, generally they were trying to block off uh, mid wicket and and deep square, which I tend to hit a lot of boundaries the previous season um, over there in the first four overs. So, so this year I was uh, I was trying to adapt my game a bit and, and utilize that a bit more, and I and I felt like a lot of the time it didn't feel like a terribly risky option, because I felt like all I had to do was just beat. Uh, beat 45 and if you if you get in a good position when you're playing it as well I guess um yeah I feel like if you if you get bold you you're in a poor position um yeah and then from there outside the four overs it was just um yeah still look for my boundaries but also just 
try get off strike every other ball and then build with whoever I was batting with. Joshy, do you remember your evolution of the ramp? How did you start learning it? We've got a lot of young players who want to do the sexy stuff they see on the TV from guys like you and Ingo and that. Did you start with underarms? Did you start on a bowling machine? Do you remember and how old were you when you started practicing that sort of funky stuff to be able to play it in the big bash in the first four overs? Um, oh, I'm putting the table down again. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, there we go. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, it was actually the first... Uh, when I moved over to the Sixers, I don't reckon I ever played one before. Um, or as far as I can remember, I'm sure I might have mucked around a couple of times in the nets, but never seriously. But um, in the first game, I was batting six, and I'm pretty sure it was either the day, the training the day before or the day of the game that I was practicing it in the nets. And I ended up going out and facing one ball um, off AJ in my first game for the Sixers. And I before, when I was sitting on the... On the dugout bench, I I was telling myself I'm going to scoop it, and I I scooped it for three. So I reckon that was the first time I ever played it or ever practiced it. it. Was yeah, one or two days before that game, and then then from there, just yeah, a little bit more practice. But I I felt like it it almost wasn't as risky as it looks. That's interesting, and I think it's a really great example of problem solving um, and being able to work figure out ways to win the contest. Um, and take your game forward as well um and yeah you want to be continuously expanding your game and because at that level there's there's so much um reflection and reviewing that goes on in the sixes setup do you do that as a team or is it as an individual sort of thing um and just figuring out things for yourself or after games do you sit down as a group and and sort of discuss what happened yeah i think that's one thing we do really well we we all sit down after sort of every game and um whether it's going around the room, sometimes Shippy makes us all individually chat with our, our partner and then we all come up with a different point about, you know, which part of the game we did well. or um, And then, yeah, I guess, you know, it's all a really a group effort. Um, you know, it's never just one person talking and, you know, that's, that's what I think we do really well. Because um, I think it's just, you know, even with T20 cricket, when you have a bad game, it's just really important to sometimes just pick out the few good moments in that game. Um, and, and often when you're going around the group and going through all sort of 18 players, everyone has something different as well. So, um, yeah, I think we do that really well. I really like that. I remember Buck saying that he thought one of Darren Lehman's great traits as a coach was when they had a really good day, he would be quite critical and try and bring them down a notch or two. And when they had a really sort of poor day or tough day, he would be really um, positive and try and bring them up a notch or two. And it, I think that's a great sort of method of sort of managing people is just trying to keep them level. And, and on the bad days where everyone is pretty self-critical, trying to pump them up a bit and say, yeah, that's all right, it's one game, let's, let's take what we can out of it. And no doubt, Shippy's a master, so shout out to the great Shippy, Greg Shippard. Now, after let's go back to your game a bit after the west indies series which was a challenging time for you west indies and bangladesh are playing on some very challenging wickets against some good good teams in those conditions you came home um probably pretty fatigued pretty pretty, i know you were looking forward to a a bit of a time at home then you then started the shield season and and had a really really good season i think probably maybe tell me if i'm wrong but your best ever red ball innings up at the gabba on a on a challenging wicket um, scored a big hun- or a good hundred there. Um, tell us about what happened after that West Indies series and how you decided you needed to evolve your game and what sort of things you did. Yeah, so it was a 
challenging tour from I guess a personal perspective and and as a group um yeah we obviously lost to Bangladesh and and personally I didn't make many runs um but yeah I think from that tour um you know I was just really looking at, at ways I could get better and and develop my game um you know I felt like there were um moments where because I, I I'm trying not to trigger as much now which I'm, I'm sure has been pretty noticeable but previously I, I was having a big substantial trigger from pretty much leg stump to sometimes outside off stump and and I guess that over time just got bigger and bigger and I felt like I was sort of limiting areas of the ground that normally I'm quite strong at scoring in so pretty much when I got back from there I, I sat down with Bo Casson and and went you know I, I need to change this because I'm, I'm losing a lot of scoring zones through the offside and, and I pretty much went back to, to some real real um, basic stuff where I just went back to being really side on starting on middle stump and almost just triggering a little bit back instead of going right across the stumps and because I was just really trying to focus on keeping my lines really good and lining the ball up back down the ground and and then hopefully opening up those scoring areas again through the offside which which I felt like I did and was that process the way you were looking at footage from the West Indies or you just had a clear picture of how it had felt you'd seen some footage in the past and you said to Bo this is how I, what I want to do, or were you sitting there looking at the TV together and picking things apart. Yeah, I was. I was watching a lot of the Test series against um, against India and in England in the quarantine, and and I noticed Joe Root. He used to do a big trigger across, and then he sort of changed to to doing that trigger back um, and staying a lot more side on. So from there, I sort of went, you know, like I I can do that, or I'd never tried it, but I was like. You know, if, if he's changed that, I, I reckon I should be able to change that as well. And then and then from there, I just really tried to, you know, the first sort of week or two, it felt really, really awful and I was really battling with it and I wasn't hitting him well at all. Um, but, you know, I just really believed that it was something that I, I wanted to do and I felt like it was going to make me a better player. And so I stuck with it and, and it turned out it's, it's worked out all right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think even someone at... Josh's level is is still trying to learn from the best players in the world, and um, that's yeah. Watching them is probably one of the best ways to go about it, really, isn't it? Moving moving away from cricket, um, what sort of how do you spend your time? What sort of hobbies have you got? Um, are you into any business or, or that sort of thing? Um, I know, yeah, you mentioned your golf before. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Whenever people ask me about hobbies, I. I have a little laugh to myself because, you know, the last sort of two years it's been so cricket-orientated, I guess, um, especially with bubbles and travelling and not being home that, that I can't say I have too many hobbies. I mean, golf golf is definitely one. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not very talented at golf, but I, I do enjoy playing it. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess that's something... Uh, you know, I probably should should really look at that that I can keep myself a little bit more busy sometimes when when I feel sort of bored and feel like I need a bit a bit of a, an escape, I guess. What about yeah? You love getting coffees and going to the beach and just chilling out a bit. That's a good way to have a break for you and switch off. Yeah, definitely. I love getting my dog out of the house and going to get a coffee and and just yeah, just just roaming around. Um, How is little Gus going? Little Gus is thirty seven kilos. Not so little anymore. So, yeah, he's he's a big boy and um. Yeah, he's he's going well though. Not ripping up all your furniture anymore. Uh, he's we still got the couch that he's ripped up. We haven't replaced that yet, so it's a matter of time. But <laughs> he'd nearly be taking you for the walks, I reckon. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. He's uh he certainly pulls me along. And now, final little thing on you before we move on to Reedy's favourite part of the show. 
what are your plans for the off season? Um, and and have you sort of thought that far ahead in terms of how you want to evolve your game? You obviously got two facets to your game with your keeping as well. Are there are there things that you're looking at in your game going? I need to get better at that for next season and beyond. Oh, I think for me, it's it's just trying to get as much cricket in as I can. So I'm looking to to seek some opportunities over in the UK. Um, yeah, hopefully play you know whatever cricket I can, whether that's you know T Twenty Four Day anything really and then you know i'll put my name in the 100 draft as well and and sort of see how that goes um but yeah i just want to keep playing i feel like the stuff i've worked on probably the last sort of four months you know i'm I'm really happy with how that's going so i think for me it's just getting more game time hopefully getting exposed to some different conditions and and then yeah i guess just just learning continuing to learn the art of batting and and making runs and making hundreds and you know, and doing that through through games played, and in all different conditions, and and that's where you get better is is um is by playing. So, fingers crossed, something comes up in the UK. Um, they'd be be getting a, a good player and a great bloke if they if a county does. So, over to your little favourite. Have you uh, hang on before we get into Reedy's favourite moment? Have you heard of Reedy's Grinders Club yet, Flip? No, I have not. That doesn't surprise me, really. <laughs> no, you, you are very, very far from this Grinders Club, I think, with the way you bat, your dynamic nature of scoring. But this is Reedy's favourite t- time of the show. Over to you, Reedy. Yeah, no, this this um, this week's inductee is a is probably a lesser-known player, but um, he's actually played Australian A cricket, um, and he, he opens the batting for Queensland in, in the longer-form stuff. He's played a bit of list A, one-day stuff, but... One thing I found most interesting, he holds the second 11 record here in Australia, um, which is the level just below the shield, for the highest individual score, which is 345 or 430 balls. He batted for 513 minutes against Victoria. So that was back in 2019. Um, He's got a first-class strike rate of 32. Oh, that's right in your wheelhouse. I think he might be leading the way there. I think that is exceptional to see, um, and I, I love everything about that. Um, his list A strike rate is fifty-two, which is probably the lowest in the comp. <laughs> um, <laughs> throwing so up that, that's exceptional, yeah. Flip vomiting. Um, no, I think yeah. So this is this is Bryce Street, um, and now Flip, you've probably played a little bit against him, and you probably <coughs> look forward to seeing the back of him whenever you do play him because he can wear wear a team down by just holding up an end. Yeah, that's right. Um, he got a hundred against us a few years ago off about three hundred balls at the Gabba, and um, yeah, he's he's a he's a good cricketer. He doesn't like getting out, and he yeah he certainly grinds away, and it's yeah it can be quite hard to watch sometimes. I've seen him seen him bat um a fair bit in that that final against New South Wales um the Shield final, and they were getting really stuck into him because he was he was getting hit, he was getting really challenged by all, all the. New South Wales bowlers but I think he really thrives off that sort of stuff and um, he's got a lot of grit and determination and I think you need that at the top of the order. Well I think you need that if you're going to be a grinder. If you're going to be a a successful grinder you have to be willing to take a few bullets because you're going to be out there for a long period and people are going to get frustrated because you're you're boring and so your grinders club they all got to be willing to take some knocks and some hits and take cop a bit of sledging from the opposition yeah i caught my fair share um I, i'm usually the one oh he's gonna dig him into another hole or something every every saturday so yeah that's yeah that's what it's all about though if you ask me um but yeah welcome to the club bryce street it's a pleasure to have you mate so um hopefully has a big future 
um, playing at a higher level. Yeah, well, I think he um, might have got a hundred for Australia, or maybe not. Um, not sure. <laughs> anyway, moving on to our performances of the week, and another one of your grinders club, our boy Teague Wiley, got 108 not out of 135 balls on the weekend in his first game back since the World Cup, and it was against your mighty Gulls flip. <laughs> your Scarborough boys and Teague actually hit the winning runs off the last over in the last over off AJ Ty. What did you think of his innings? Obviously, you guys made 229. They were chasing 230. Um, tell us a bit about your first chance of sort of opportunity to see Teague up close. Um, what did you think? Yeah, firstly, he's quite a big 17-year-old. I reckon when I was 17, I would have been half the size and about half the weight of him. Um, but, no, nah, he was very... Uh, yeah, firstly, he was very good to watch. He just knocked it round. He hardly took a risk. But, um, yeah, he looks like a very organised cricketer. You know, he knows where he's scoring. I think first ball, um, you know, he sort of shuffled across the stumps and just dropped one into the leg side and got off strike. So, you know, there, there was a lot of things to like about his batting. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, I've no doubt he's going to be a very good player for WA in the future. Yeah, well, fingers crossed he keeps performing the way he has. And I think he only hit four fours and two, and two sixes, one of which was the winning runs. Um, so, yeah, he just did a good job of knocking it around as he always does. Another shout-out, Performance of the Week, Jake Weatherall, uh, one of your mates who you spent some time with up at the Performance um, Centre with Buck. 177 not out of 251 balls in grade cricket for Adelaide University. I've been doing a bit with Jake the last month or so, so great to see him getting some big runs. We've spoken about scoring big hundreds, so he batted the day there. Chloe Ainsworth, Melville girl, um, got 51 out of a team total of 119, and her average going into this game was 100, so she's done herself no harm there. Uh, what else, Reedy? Who else we got? Uh, we got young Ethan Smith, who you've been working with for a number of years now. Um, 89 off 68 for the Willis under-17s versus Claremont, which took him... Oh, yeah cemented him as um, to have the most runs in the under-17s at 643 runs, an average of nearly 50. That's 150 more runs than anyone else in that competition. So that that's goes to show that he's starting to really find his feet. And I know he's played a bit of second grade, has he? Yeah. I think that's right. So um, he he has a yeah big future. And what I like about ETH is we had a hit on Friday morning and he, he sort of came in and I said, what do you want to work on? He, it was 7 a.m. session before school. He's in year 12 and he said, I want to work on spin. And he had a real clear plan that, like, it's not that he's struggling against spin, but he wants to keep evolving his game in that in that sort of element of his game, I should say. So really impressive from him, and hopefully he's not far off um, playing, moving up into first grade, um, probably not in the finals this year, but early next year. And a shout-out to Sean Bors, who's one of our students, our athletes, who made his first grade debut on the weekend. Fanners just, well, he didn't play on the weekend, Fanners. He was a close contact, but he's uh, dominated and finished the home and away season with the most runs, didn't he? Yeah, Fanners needs to stay at home a bit more often, I think, and stop hitting the circuit. But, um, no, nah, he, yeah, he's really grown as a player this year. Um, you would have seen a fair bit of him now um, flip. So what, what are you noticing? What's taken him to sort of the next, next level in his career? Yeah, I, I think he's just really clear on how he wants to play. I mean, I haven't seen too many of his grade knocks as I guess I've been away. Um, but, you know, I've certainly had some conversations with him, um, you know, over the time he's, he's been with us at WA. And, um, yeah, he, he just seems really clear on his game plan and, and he seems really confident with it. And from what I've heard as well, it's some of his runs haven't been the prettiest, which, which is often, um, you know, a really good sign because... You know, when you go out to bat, you know, oh, I'm doing it again. <laughs> 
This is a shocking system. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, as I was saying, often when you go out to bat, you know, it's it, it, you never just hit every single ball in the middle of the bat, and then you know, it, it's never just a, I guess, an easy, easy approach going from zero to a hundred. You know, there's always plenty of, you know, stuff in the way. So yeah, it just sounds like he, yeah, his mindset and mentality as well is is really good. Yeah, absolutely, and something yeah, he's definitely worked really hard on. And then finally, performances of the week. It must be mentioned as the season has come to an end, the home and away season. We're about to get into finals here in Perth. Your Melville boys scraped in to the finals. Tell us a bit about that in a second. But Reedy finished 11th on the most runs for the first grade competition, 507 runs at an average of 36. He also took 22 wickets in the home and away season. Another 23. Well, my cricket said 22 this morning <laughs> at an average of 13. So one of the continues to be one of the premier all-rounders in the competition. And also um, Connor Blacksell hill got 100 on the weekend for Perth, um, came in when they were four for not many, dug him out of um, a, a, a tricky position, finished 105 or 110, um, match-winning innings against Mount Lawley, who played in the final the next day. So a good, good side, good attack, Mount Lawley. And his first grade 100 to go with um, two fifers he's taken this season. So he's also one of the premier um, all-rounders in the competition. And, and my Perth team finished fourth and are away to Williton this week. Tell us about Melville scraping into the finals on the weekend before we wrap up. Yeah, so um, but, well, just quickly, yeah, we, um, we pretty much had to win in the end because Fremantle had a stacked team. They had Sean Marsh, Ashton Turner and Sam Whiteman return and that got them over the over the line and they had to win but yeah we we had to win and got it done and um yeah i think we've got a big game against south perth this week we finished top who have the likes of hilton cartwright and cameron gannon so so knock out you lose you're out from now on yeah so um yeah exciting so we might not see ready one of these mondays when they lose but uh (laughs) he'll be having a few beers but all in all, we're not going to do a prediction this week um, without a whole lot of cricket going on, so we'll save that for another time. But Flip, really, really appreciate your time. We're going to go and have a bit of lunch and catch up, given it's been some time since we've, we've seen you. So thank you, Flip, um, for all your insights um, and being very generous with your time, as always, and your ongoing support with Cricket Mentoring. I hope you've enjoyed the chat. Once, Apart from putting the desk down a few times, um, you've offered a lot of value. <laughs> Um, the dangers, the hazards of a sit-stand desk. If you touch it, it moves. Um, flips learnt the hard way. But <laughs> thanks for having us, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I should have said thanks for coming on, not for having yeah, us. But you cooked right. that, mate. Cheers, Flip. <laughs> Said my line. <laughs> Cheers, legends.